Proverbs 15. A glad heart makes a happy face, and a broken heart crushes the spirit. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. A hot-tempered person starts fights, and a cool-tempered person stops them. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. Sensible children bring joy to their father. Foolish children despise their mother. Foolishness brings joy to those with no sense. A sensible person stays on the right path. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The path of life leads upward for the wise. They leave the grave behind. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he protects the property of widows. The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. In 2015, one of the top 10 grossing films was based on our emotions. It followed the life of a little girl from the perspective of her emotions. And as each of them fought for control to help her navigate through life, I have a little clip that I'd like to share with you. Okay, looks like you got this. Very good. That's fear. He's really good at keeping Riley safe. Easy, easy, huh? Hi, back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! (laughs) Well, I just saved our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. Cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. Oh. 
and you've met Sadness. She? Well, she... I'm not actually sure what she does. And I've checked. There's no place for her to go. So she's good. We're good. It's all great. And Emotions. We all have them. We all experience them. Yet we really don't understand them. We know them when we see them expressed. But how do they come to be expressed? And when we express them, then what do we do with them? The Bible has a lot to tell us about emotions. Because God is an emotional being. Exodus 34, 6 says, Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's emotion. We have a Father that's full of emotion. And we can look to Jesus, too. And what do we see? More emotion. He was God with us. He showed emotion as he walked the earth. One of the primary emotions we see in Jesus as we read the Gospels is compassion. In Mark 10, where Jesus speaks with the rich young ruler, it says Jesus loved him. In Mark chapter 1, a leper kneels before Jesus for healing, and it says that Jesus was moved with pity. When Lazarus died, we're told that Jesus wept. When Jesus approached Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, again, it says, he wept. When the man with the withered hand comes to Jesus for healing in Mark chapter 3, it says, after looking around at the Pharisees with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, then he hailed the man's hand. And of course, there's more familiar story of Jesus' anger when he entered the temple and he overturned tables and drove out the money changers. But you know what? He had joy, too. This is what he told the disciples in John chapter 15. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In Jesus, we see that emotions are of God. They are a gift from God. And they are a necessary part of life. In fact, our emotions are a tool that we can use to display Christ out to the world. That's why, as we see in Proverbs, we need wisdom when it comes to our emotions. But there's one thing that we need to remember about our emotions. God has given us emotions as a gauge, not as a guide. 
Let me say that again. God has given us emotions as a gauge, not as a guide. See, our emotions give us a reading on where our hope is. Because emotions are wired into what we believe and what we value. Emotions reveal what is in our hearts. They reveal what our heart loves. They reveal what our heart trusts and what our heart fears. Think of emotions as a system check for our hearts. And that's the model we see in Jesus as he expresses emotion. Every emotion that he displayed reflected the love and compassion in his heart. Even in his anger, it was born out of compassion as he witnessed injustice done to those that he loved. You see, Jesus' display of emotions was a gauge on what was already in his heart. His emotions did not dictate his behavior. They did not sway him from the mission. But that's exactly where we get tripped up. We don't use our emotions as a gauge. We try to use them as a guide. We let our emotions be our truth. And as a result, we move ourselves outside of God's path for our lives. We need to remember what Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the enemy wants to use your emotions against you. We see it with fear. What is it in life that you truly fear? Now, I'm not talking about phobias. I'm not talking about your fear of spiders or elevators or heights or closed-in spaces. No, what is it that you are afraid of? Proverbs tells us to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But if we were to chart out the things that we were afraid of, we would discover that the one thing that most of our fears stem from is a fear of people. We want to be liked. We want people to like us. We want to be respected. We want to be treated fairly. And if we boil down our fears to find that common theme, what we'll find is that we fear the disapproval of people way too much. We strive to feel okay based on the approval of others. And when we allow fear to be our guide, we're always performing. We're always hoping for applause. It means that in our lives, we keep people at a distance because if they get to know us, they may not like us. They might not approve. When we make fear our guide, our God becomes human approval. 
everything we then do becomes focused on gaining that approval and that applause from others, even if it means losing who we really are. And Proverbs warns us, don't use fear as a guide in your life. Proverbs 29:25, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's dangerous, it's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. But when we allow fear to just gauge our hearts, give us a reading of our hearts, we discover our need for approval from the only one whose approval matters. With fear as our gauge, we're drawn towards the Lord. We have the approval of God through the blood of Christ. We can stop pretending to be someone we aren't. Jesus has already declared who you are. You are a child of the King. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You can stop pretending. You can stop looking back over your shoulder at your past and run into the arms of Jesus. And he tells you, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. If we listen to the enemy and we let fear guide us, then we turn away from God. But when we allow fear to gauge our hearts, we run into his arms. We find boldness to rest securely in his approval, in his identity of us. What about anger? What about sadness? Those are unpleasant emotions. Can't we just push them aside? There's an old saying that says emotions that are buried alive don't die. Though we may wish to push the unpleasant emotions aside and ignore them, they'll always be there until they are dealt with. So how do we deal with anger? Because the Bible has a lot to say about anger. Because not all anger is wrong. You might even say that the closer to Christ we grow, the angrier we're going to get at real evil. In the world. Proverbs 10 12 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. There's an anger that stems from bitterness, there's an anger that comes from hatred and judgment. It comes from a Hebrew, Hebrew word, sinah. It's about negativity and negative opinions of another person. That kind of anger stirs up trouble. That anger is making judgments of others. It's having negative opinions of others. You might say in this current political season that judgments, negative feelings, and opinions are the rule. You can't turn on any media without hearing judgments, 
without hearing opinions shrouded in anger. And there's a temptation for us to respond likewise when we let anger be our guide and not our gauge. But wisdom, it's not intimidated by others. Wisdom says, why should I feel strongly about that issue? Moreover, why does anybody care about my opinion on that issue? See, when anger is our gauge, we're able to avoid most conflict because we humble our opinions first before Jesus. See, anger is a judging emotion. Anger is our hearts telling us that something is wrong. And there is a lot wrong in the world today. But wisdom brings the judging emotion itself under judgment. It tempers it through the light of Christ. Fools just unleash their anger without filtering it. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. A wise person that uses their anger as a gauge that something is wrong brings it under the authority of Jesus. See, the gospel helps us rule over our anger moment by moment. Only when we remember that Jesus, he's coming back again. All evil will be punished with finality. And it is that certainty of his return and his judgment that reminds us we don't need to be anybody's judge. That is not our job. But that doesn't mean that we deny. It doesn't mean that we deflect or minimize the situations that make us angry. No. Because buried emotions don't die. They may lessen in intensity, but they will come back. And they will leak into and poison every other relationship that you have. I haven't been in ministry that long, but it's been long enough to see emotions in relationships that have just been tucked away for years and years, thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. But that slow leak of that hurt, that anger, is slowly poisoning people, the one who's holding it and the ones around them. Anger as a gauge of our heart tells us to bring it under the authority of Jesus and look at it from the perspective of the cross. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. As followers of Jesus, we have a higher standard than just getting even with someone. Our standard is glory because our God is glorious. He overlooks our offenses because of the cross. 
The Hebrew word used here for glory means to make something beautiful. See, when God looks past our offenses because of Jesus' sacrifice, he calls us beautiful. And when we look past our anger, when we look past the offenses that have been done to us, we're showing them God's beauty. We're showing them God's glory. But if we hold tight to our anger, if we let it guide us, it becomes toxic. It's a poison to our souls. That's the difference between allowing anger to gauge what's in your heart or to guide you in your life. One brings healing. The other just brings more strife. What about sadness? Another emotion that we really don't want to deal with. Sadness is the most painful and heart-wrenching of our emotions. It indicates a loss from a death, from a divorce, or even a dream that you had. Sadness results from something that once was, but now is not. In today's culture, we've lost the process and the purpose of what it means to mourn. We find it so uncomfortable, we find it so unpleasant that we want to skip right past our mourning and our sadness and begin what we call, oh, this is my new normal. Sometimes we falsely believe that we have to be strong for other people. Maybe we have others telling us to get over it already. Or even worse, just suck it up and move on before the life that you have passes you by. Sadness and mourning make us so uncomfortable that we try to avoid other sadness too. Not just our own. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid if we allow ourselves to feel the pain of sadness, it's going to overwhelm us. But not giving a voice to the loss or the impact of that loss keeps the pain alive but buried. We think by avoiding sadness and focusing on only finding the joy, that sadness will just go away. It never goes away without healing. What we end up doing with sadness as our guide rather than our gauge is making ourselves numb. Not just numb to sadness, not just numb to pain. We become none numb to all of the emotions. Never able to experience the fullness of them as God intended. With sadness as our guide instead of our gauge, we pull away from family and friends, and we pull away from God. In the movie Inside Out, the clip that we saw earlier, 
All of the emotion characters, they all have a purpose, but none of them knew what to do with sadness. And so they keep pushing her away. They keep her away from everything. Because no one wants to be sad, they say. Eventually, the young girl character becomes numb to everything. She pulls away from her family. She pulls away from her friends. And she has no emotions at all. Until sadness finds her purpose. Until sadness is allowed to bring healing and closure into the little girl's life. Then suddenly, life is renewed and full all over again. In our sadness, we need to realize that Jesus came to make all things new. God wants to walk with you through your sadness. He wants to walk with you through the pain, walk with you through the trials and the circumstances that you didn't even ask for. He's there to walk with you. He never asks us to deny the issues in the world or those going on in our heart. He calls us to drink deeply of the joy found in him. Him alone, no matter what. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. Sorrow is better than laughter. Doesn't feel like it, does it? See, when we allow sadness and sorrow to be a gauge of our hearts, it provides us with a different perspective. It is during difficult times of sadness and struggle, during the sorrowful times, that we're forced to make adjustments. It is in those times that we look more seriously to our Father in heaven. That's when we rely on his strength. In our weakness. Do you ever see anyone come to faith at a wedding? No, but I've met many, many people that have come to faith at a funeral. Why? Because God is in the sadness. And it's in that sadness that we recognize our need for Him. Sadness is never enjoyable. But it shows us a new way of life. It shows us a new perspective that grows us more than laughter ever could. Sadness and sorrow are a necessary part of our lives. Before Jesus was crucified, he had warned the disciples, you will experience sorrow. He said to them in John 16, I have told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials, many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Sadness and sorrow are part of our Christian growth as we look to our dependence on Jesus. Sadness awakens us to our weakness and our need for Jesus. Sadness has the power to highlight our strength in Christ. 
where we look to sadness as a gauge of our heart. It points us back to Jesus and the peace and joy that he wants to bring into our lives. But just like all other emotions, joy must be used as a gauge of our hearts, not as a guide for truth in our life. Joy, happiness, we like that emotion, don't we? Makes us feel good. Proverbs 15, 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. But the enemy wants us to chase after what makes us happy. Do what makes you happy, the enemy tells us. And yet when we strive to create the perfect circumstances for our happiness, we find out that we're still not happy. The enemy tells us, try again. And try again. And again. And when we can't get to happy, the enemy points a finger at us and says, you aren't good enough. But keep trying. Maybe you'll get to happy. And so we burn out striving for happy by creating these perfect circumstances that don't exist, that end up leaving us empty every time. And that's what happens when we let joy and happiness be our guide and not our gauge. We need to remember that our emotions are signals. If you can't grab a hold of joy despite your circumstances, take a look in your heart. See where you have placed your hope. Only in Jesus will you find the joy you desire. Remember what Jesus said, I have told you this, that my joy will be in you. Proverbs 15 finishes with, The cheerful looks brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. Another translation says it this way, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart. We are the messengers of God. The children of God are his messengers. We're called to bring the joy of Christ to others. But we cannot do that if we're letting joy be our guide rather than our gauge. Our emotions are signals. They are signs that something is going on in our world that needs attention. God gave us emotions to prompt us to do something. And since he tells us that all of the commandments hang upon loving God, and loving others. We have to understand that emotions help us live in healthy relationships with God and with those around us. But when we let our emotions guide us rather than gauge our hearts, they will separate us from others rather than connect us. We must deal with our emotions and not just push them aside or try to bury them because they're still alive. 
Our emotions need to be confessed. Our emotions need to be processed in order to not guide us into sin. The key is recognizing what is true in light of Christ and expressing that emotion in a way that reflects what is in our heart and moves us towards growth, towards healing, towards transformation. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to use your emotions against you. And when you let your emotions guide you, you open it up for the enemy to sneak in. He uses them as weapons, not as helps. He will make promises to you. The enemy will threaten you, and he will try to use your weak areas against you and send your emotions off, surging in the wrong direction towards foolishness rather than wisdom. The enemy will take your fear. And he'll let it paralyze you against God's plans and purposes for your life. The enemy will take your anger and let it poison you from the inside out. The enemy will take your sadness and he'll turn it into guilt. He'll turn it into shame, causing further bitterness as you withdraw from those who love you. The enemy will even take your joy He'll turn it into complacency. He'll turn it into self-satisfaction where we stop looking to God's plan and become content with our own. Scripture tells us to let our emotions be our gauge of what's in our heart. Because when we use our emotions as a gauge for our heart, we can fight the enemy with God's word, and with God's promises. But when we use our emotions as a guide, we let the enemy in. Use your emotions as a gauge. Because they'll remind us not only of God's promises, but of his protection. And any emotion that you are going through It's only for a short time. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. God has a plan. Don't bury your emotions. Give them over to him. Let him take them and heal them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for emotions, even the ones that hurt. Because in all emotion, Father, they point us back to you. They point us to Jesus. Father, I pray for healing in this place. 
I pray for brokenness to be healed. I pray for, for the emotions that are in this room, Father. Provide growth, provide healing, an overflow, an abundant joy for the power of Christ in us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being present with us here this morning. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for Jesus. And in his holy and precious name, amen.